tuning in today. Uh, we just had a great discussion about what's the answer to get the rest of the unvaccinated vaccinated. Uh, yesterday, the Premier, Kelvin Gertzen, the Mayor of Winkler, Martin Harder, both said, education, 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 carrot, not a stick. Uh, I'm hearing from many of you saying it's time for the stick. We'll carry on the conversation and tons of other stuff to talk about here today as well. Joining us right now from the University of Calgary Associate Professor, Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases, Dr. Craig Jenny. Craig, good afternoon. Uh, good morning. <laughs> good morning. <laughs> I have to get used to the new time slot here. I apologize. It's only day three. Thanks for coming on today. I appreciate it. I'm going to ask you that question. We just had a great discussion about it. Uh, you just heard what I said about the premier yesterday and the mayor of Winkler, which is an area of our province that has very low vaccine uptake. What's the answer? Uh, a couple listeners just suggested, hey, come on, education. We've been educating this whole time. What's the answer? Is there an answer? Probably not. I mean, there, there's a lot of different strategies that have been deployed, and, and they work to different extents. And, uh, you know, I think even here in Alberta, we've, we've run the, the the gauntlet of, of ways to encourage people to be vaccinated from incentives such as lotteries and more recently offering a, a financial sum, $100 for, for people who hadn't been vaccinated. Uh, I think the biggest uptick we've seen was more the stick related, the, the idea that things would not be open if you were not vaccinated. And we saw that back in June, that, that there was this promise to fully reopen if we hit a certain vaccine threshold and now more recently with uh, what we're not calling a vaccine passport but essentially is a vaccine passport we had seen a substantial uptick in the hesitant people seeking vaccination when you know that that possibility was put on the table that they may not be able to for example partake in in in-person dining or attend uh, things such as hockey games or concerts that led to more than a 300% increase in vaccination uh, the, the, in the days immediately after that uh, announcement. Yeah, and you're, you're talking, Alberta, we've done some of that here in Manitoba. I should have started, Craig, by saying, how is Ma- Alberta doing? Like, how, we, we're hearing, you know, incredible stories we have now for two or three weeks. Um, is it getting any better at all in your province? So we've seen this explosive growth begin to slow, and that's good news, but it's still growing. Day after day, we are still seeing an increase in the number of infectious cases in the community. Hospitalizations go up daily. ICU goes up daily. And and tragically, you know, again, yesterday we saw the loss of nearly 20 lives in a single reporting day. So... Uh, it's not good. And uh, although things may be slowing, they're, in my opinion, not slowing anywhere near fast enough. They've not started to decline. And even once they do, we can still expect hospitalizations and ICU to rise for even two to three weeks after that. So, uh, you know, it's going to continue to to get bad here for for the next couple of weeks. Wow. Well, listen, uh, that's my home province. I have family there. My mom, my sister are still there, and and other family, obviously as well. And uh, boy, I I my heart breaks for you guys. We, you know, we've been through something like that here so far. This fourth wave has not been that bad here in Manitoba. Now, I say not bad. People get sick, and we've had certainly people die. But compared to what it could be, um, do you think we might be holding it off here in Manitoba, Craig? 
So far, so good. And I think that's a combination of things. One is Manitoba didn't go to the fully wide open as Saskatchewan and Alberta did. So that that preserving some restrictions, I think, has been uh, very much a key. Uh, But I think it's also the people, right? You know, we do see higher vaccine rates. We see better compliance with the public health guidance. And that's not to say that there's not individual problems but better overall compliance than perhaps we're seeing in in Saskatchewan in Alberta and those little differences at the end of the day make a huge impact on on things such as public health and uh, infectious diseases. Yesterday we were talking to the mayor of Winkler which is in the southern part of our province it's a a part of the province that you know has not seen the vaccine uptake that we've seen say for example here in Winnipeg I mean there's some areas of southern Manitoba in the southern health region that are very low and we're seeing more cases more infection and and more issues in that part of the province that I think is going to be our next big COVID-19 story here in the province Uh, any thoughts on on how we address that short of getting those people vaccinated how do we deal with an area like that where you know it's a problem i think you're absolutely right and you know we've had those problems here in in northern alberta and really it boiled down and still does to to getting the vaccines on the ground our northern health uh, region northern health zone is at 100 percent occupancy in icu so it is a problem um, we, we do have to move people from that region to other parts of the province for treatment now because we don't have that capacity. Um, you know, the, the, the key is that those areas are under-vaccinated compared to, for example, the city of Calgary and the city of Edmonton. And we need to get vaccines out there. One thing that has helped in Alberta has been bringing the vaccine to the community. These vaccine buses that are mobile vaccination clinics that you don't have to navigate through the private pharmacies or, or through large mass clinics, but we bring it to the small towns and, and, and it's much more accessible. People there to directly answer your questions in real time. And we find that that has uh, significantly helped with vaccinations in some of these hesitant or, or more remote communities where they don't have as many vaccine options as the cities. Mm-hmm. Um, before I let you go, any other thoughts, anything on your radar that maybe we haven't heard about that you're keeping an eye on, anything at all, a, a new variant or, uh, you know, the spread of Delta, anything? You're, you're the expert. I think the big game changer that, that we're going to see hopefully within the next month, month and a half is we will, should, the data looks fantastic, uh, vaccines for, for those under 12 Right. And that's going to be another big piece. We have to remember, although they are much less uh, at risk of getting severely ill, they still contribute to viral spread. And we know for herd immunity, for community immunity, we need 85, 90% of the population vaccinated, not the eligible population, the whole population. So uh, th- that's a substantial portion of, of our population that has no protection. And once we start vaccinating those, we're going to get a, a substantial leg up, I think, on, on community spread of, of this virus. Greg, all the best to you and everybody else in my home province of Alberta. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, Hal. Just before we talk to Steve Lambert here, Canadian press reporter here in Winnipeg, he was covering the Stephenson-Glover Town Hall last night. A couple of quick clips here. Here's Stephenson from that town hall last night. To get the job done, we need a leader with experience and a proven track record. We need a leader with a team and a plan. And we need a leader who is ready to start work immediately. And Glover. You, by your own admission, stayed in the back rooms, while I went directly to the front lines. And to be a leader, you must stand up. 
You cannot lead from the back rooms. So who will replace Brian Pallister as Tory leader and premier here in the province of Manitoba? Will it be Heather Stephenson? I'm sure most people would consider her the front runner. Or would it be Shelley Glover? We'll find out in about a month from right now. Steve Lambert, Canadian Press, come on in here. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks a lot for doing this. I appreciate it. Um, was a lot of the talk last night in this town hall about COVID-19, the pandemic? Uh, some of it was. They touched on a number of issues, including uh, the economy, um, Indigenous relations, and more. But, uh, yeah, a lot of it was the uh, effects of the pandemic, um, how what happens as the pandemic uh, wanes, and, and what the recovery from the pandemic might look like. Mm -hmm. Just from those two very short clips, um, I get the sense it was insider versus outsider, Stephenson versus Glover. Is that was that kind of a constant theme throughout the night or am I wrong on that? No, you're right. I mean, as you mentioned, um, Heather Stephenson is widely perceived as the front runner. She's got the endorsement of uh, a big majority of uh, caucus members and caucus members can help sell memberships and and get bodies into seats uh, or in this case mail-in ballots uh, convince their constituents to uh, ensure they have memberships and and mail-in ballots for their preferred candidate Um, she's definitely the front runner was was out front first in terms of getting uh, memberships and everything lined up to get in the race and so Shelley Glover went into this debate and, and had to you know put some holes, deflate that, that balloon a little bit, and worked to, to portray herself as somebody who offers the party a fresh start. The Conservatives are very low in the polls, and so Shelley Glover's message is, look, if, if you want to make a clean break from the problems that have uh, plagued the party and, and caused the governing party to go solo in opinion polls, uh, you need a, a fresh leader from the outside. Mm-hmm. Um, they build this as a town hall. You called it a debate, sort of the same. Was there a chance to engage the two women, and were there any knockout punches? Uh, no knockout punches, for sure. The um, it, it it was sort of a, a forum, almost a debate. It was actually a, a very good format because uh, there was a, a question from a, a moderator, former Mayor Susan Thompson. Right. And then uh, there was, a, because there were only two people on the stage, there was a fair amount of time allotted for a response to the question and then a rebuttal from the other candidate and then a rebuttal to that rebuttal uh, from the original candidate. So there, there was a little bit of back and forth that way. It, it wasn't a free-for-all debate where you get candidates uh, yelling over each other. So there was time allotted that that uh, allowed for substantial answers. That's interesting. You know, format formatting is so important, right? We've seen so many debates most recently in the federal election campaign where the format was horrible, right? We learned, not, in my opinion, anyhow, we, it was difficult to learn anything if you were tuning in uh, to try and make a decision based on where the candidate stood on issues. Um, now, this might not, what you just described, might not be great TV, but I think it informs potential voters for sure. Yeah, I mean, there were fewer cases where, well, there were no examples uh, last night of what we saw in the federal uh, leadership debate where you had a moderator saying, okay, you've got 10 seconds, you've got 10 seconds. Everybody had a lot more than 10 seconds to uh, to voice their opinions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, just debating alone, just, you know, was there one or the other that was a better debater? 
No, I think they each uh, showed their strengths and they each got their message across. Um, you know, they, they kept returning. The questions from the moderator were a bit general in nature. So it, it gave each candidate room to go back to their talking points. And Heather Stephenson's uh, talking points are about having experience in government, having the backing of a lot of uh, high-profile leaders, and, and having experience and uh, a seat in the legislature that lets her, if she wins, um, take on the party and, and take over uh, from day one, uh, portraying Glover's outsider status as, as sort of a negative that way. Mm-hmm. Glover was had time and space to, to go back to her points about being an outsider uh, is what the party needs right now if they're going to be competitive in the 2023 election. Mm-hmm. You, you've been covering Broadway for a long time, so I'll give you the final 30 seconds here. Any thoughts on how this might go? We've got a month left, as I said. Uh, any thoughts at all? Just give me the final 30 seconds here to weigh in. Well, it, it all comes down to ensuring your support. Signing up members by Friday is the deadline. You've got to sign up members by Friday if they want to have uh, the right to vote for the leadership. And then it's uh, ensuring that everybody who's signed up to support you mails in that ballot before uh, the October 30th deadline. Uh, Ballots have to be received at Party HQ the uh, day before. Hey, I will ask you one more quick question. Uh, Did uh, the NDP come up, Wab Canoe? Did either of them talk about who's better uh, able possibly to beat the NDP in the next election? Yeah, again, there was talk of like who's who's uh, more likely to be competitive and take on right. the NDP in the next election. So in that sense, they were both uh, portraying themselves as best able to take on the NDP. Mm-hmm. Steve, thanks for your time. I appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Steve Lambert, Canadian press reporter here in Winnipeg, covered the Stephenson Glover Town Hall last night. Um, okay, now I'm going to save a little room here uh, for us to talk on the phone, right? It's connecting Winnipeg, and I've said I want your phone calls. And as I said to the start at the end of their show, teeing up this show here today, uh, this is day three for me, so I'm still kind of getting used to how much I need to go into a show. And I want to make sure I leave room, not just for your text messages and emails, but also for your phone calls if you want to call. And if you don't want to call and I throw something out there and it's not of interest to you, that's fine. You know, we can start a new conversation. Uh, but I want you to know that you always have the ability to talk uh, to me and to talk to other Winnipeggers and Manitobans right here during this two hours, 10 a.m. to noon, on CGOB every weekday. So you can text or call 204-780-6868, or you can email me, hal at cgob.com. Actually, this morning, I woke up to several emails from you suggesting guests and story ideas, and I really appreciate that. You can get a hold of me by email 24-7, anytime you want. It's an easy address to remember, hal at cgob.com. Joining me now on the phone to talk about the future of downtown Winnipeg, Gino Distazio, Urban Studies Professor at the University of Winnipeg. Gino, good morning. Good morning to you. Thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it. I've got some news. I'm gonna I'm gonna start with a bit of news here. And I just got off the phone with Councillor Sean Nason, Transcona Councillor Sean Nason. The CAO of the City of Winnipeg has informed Council that the Starlight plan for Portage Place is not moving forward. And I just confirmed that with Councillor 
uh, nascent. And this is exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. Are we going to have to change or will we be forced to look at things differently now because of the pandemic? Your reaction to the news? Well, it's a huge hit. You know, I think we had some questions about the type of development that they were bringing to the city or proposed. But now it's a huge hole. I mean, we really had dug ourselves uh, deep in with Portage Place. It hasn't been working as a retail center. So now we're sort of back to the drawing boards of uh, what happens on that uh, that critical part of Portage Avenue. Mm-hmm. And now uh, Councillor Nason went on to say in his tweet This news, while disappointing, is an opportunity to yet again figure out a complete zone revisioning, including the Hudson Bay site. Would you agree with that? Maybe it is an opportunity. Well, it is It is an opportunity, and I think that's the way we have to look at the next couple of years. Uh, you know, certainly the pandemic has put us in a difficult position like almost every global city, but we have some assets, some jewels in, in the Hudson's Bay location as a, as a wonderful historic building, plus, you know, the Portage Place structure as a mall or however we decide to re- reinvent it, uh, whether public, private, or some combination, right? But we're, uh, it, it's going to be a couple of years where it's going to take us a little while to catch back up to that great momentum we had just before the pandemic, Hal. Like, yeah. our downtown, I thought, was firing more so than in the last 125 years. It was Agreed. really going. Yeah. I know I agree. It was, uh, it was exciting, right, to see what was happening and what was being built and what was being proposed. And the pandemic, this pandemic has done this to so many people and so many opportunities. It's, it's just kind of put a roadblock there. We've got to figure out a way around it. Yeah, and, I, and, and, I, and you're, you're right on it. And, and I think we've got to work our way back from Portage and Maine and think about Portage Avenue as this wonderful image street of Winnipeg. It's, it's our signature street, and it's hurting. Right. We know that there's an increase in uh, vacancies. There's an increase in the visibility of poverty and homelessness in our downtown. And we owe it to ourselves to to find a solution collectively here to get back to sort of uh, pre-pandemic progress that we were seeing. Yeah. Here's the other challenge. We're talking today about, you know, the number of people that are returning to downtown. Not many yet. We've talked to MPI, Canada Light, Manitoba Hydro, some of the big employers in downtown Winnipeg, and we know that not a lot of people have returned. The businesses that are in downtown Winnipeg are are struggling because of it. How many will return? How long will it take? You know, there's all these questions. And so do we have to then, you know, re-examine, as we've just been discussing, but my other thought is, you know, I think we've, we've thought a lot of retail has turned to residential. Well, we'll do residential. Retail's not what it used to be, so we'll go residential. But it's going to be hard to get people uh, to come and live downtown when we're not getting them to come back and work downtown. So it's a really difficult situation, isn't it, Gina? Absolutely. And it's a combination. Remember that, you know, we we're trying to grow our residential base to get it up to 20,000. Also remember, too, that in, the, say, the 50,000 people working downtown, we want to get that critical mass back to support, you know, that early morning coffee and lunch rush. We want to get that entertainment crowd back in the evening. And I would also go further in saying we want to get our student base back in the downtown. You know, I've been on campus here at the University of Winnipeg for over 20 years, but downtown education is a driver. We're up to about 20,000, 25,000 students in the downtown at post-secondaries and training centers. We need that power back in the downtown, adding the vitality, grow our residential base, get our entertainment going back again, 
and, you know, getting our workers back and, and making sure that everybody's comfortable and feel safe. And that's the key part here. So it's going to lag because there's so much uncertainty. And I think that's the key piece right now. There's so much uncertainty about what's next. It's not quite as, as easy to figure out the next steps, right? And I think, as you mentioned, the starlight is going to throw a little bit of a wrench because there was some momentum around that idea of, wow, you know, maybe that place could become something that it hasn't been for a long time, which would be a true destination. Yeah. And listen, you know, the Jets are back downtown, even though, you know, it was a long lineup and people were stuck in that lineup, you know, showing their Vax cards and their ID to get into the game the other night. I happened to drive by just as people were arriving for the game. It's nice to see them back town, back downtown, right? And we've been talking to the transit union about drivers not getting, uh, some of their drivers not getting vaccinated. How's that going to be handled? And obviously, you know, it's a challenge uh, with some of the routes not having, you know, enough uh, drivers to work. The, there are so many pieces to the puzzle here. I'll give you the final 30 seconds. What, what do you see for downtown? How long is it going to take? What's, what's the crystal ball tell you, Gino? You know what? I'm an optimist, and I'm a Winnipegger true and true, and I think that we had built so much momentum leading up to the pandemic that I think we're going to recover. It's going to take us maybe another year to get everybody back, but we put the right things in place. The waterfront, the forks, you know, really thinking about housing and education and entertainment in the downtown, and like you, I love the fact that 15,000 fans are going to come and go from that arena on a great season for the Jets, and let's use that as kind of a start point for a great season for the downtown. Gino, love it, and thanks for uh, reacting to that uh, uh, news that just came in about uh, the Starlight Project with Portage Place. I appreciate your, your thoughts on that, too. Thank you. You bet. Happy to be on your first week back here on the new Thank show. You. So. Thank you. Appreciate it. Gino Castazio, right. Urban Studies Professor at the University of Winnipeg.